Welcome to Witch Yes, a podcast for casual conjurings, witches in training, and the guilt of every gift you've ever regifted. I'm Alicia Herder. And I'm Tara Kick. On today's episode, oh, the places you'll go with witchy travel, witches in the news, and a guide for travel altars. I'm good. How are you? What's up? I'm good. How are you? What's up? I'm just doing my own thing. It's like summer. It's like cool. It's not even summer yet. It's been fucking hot though. We've had a lot of weather lately. Yeah. Too much weather. Honestly. <laughs> I think it needs to stop a little. Yeah. Like uh, sort of the ability to predict what I'm going to wear in the morning and have that be relevant at 9 a.m. at noon. And then also when I have to leave at 530. That's true. Because I do feel like I should be packing upwards of four different outfits in a day. Which maybe that's on us. Maybe we should. Maybe it's our fault. You know, RuPaul does say that, you know. I was like, what does RuPaul say? <laughs> you know. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. Well, yes. I thought because I couldn't. I was like, do I say RuPaul is a she or do I say RuPaul is a he? Depends. Well, I would say that RuPaul, the man, the legend. He. He does say that he does do like three to four outfit changes a day that makes sense so but i mean once one photo is taken of you you have to change into a different outfit you know mm -hmm. we might have less of that problem paparazzi and gowanus like really aren't popping these days maybe for you well, i mean i'm not over here often i just you know put the hoodie on when i walk in to go podcasting and like that's about mm -hmm. it no photos no, no photos. photos please no i'm just like hiding from the cops <laughs> <laughs> Please, no photos. Please, no one's allowed to know I'm here. <laughs> no one can know where I go. What are backup topics? Oh, well, I thought if we ever got tired, we could just... Oh. What have you read recently? We have a oh, lot I'm of... reading Becoming, and I'm halfway through it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I've already made such progress. It's pretty good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. What is your latest obsession? What is your latest obsession? I mean, I just... In the past hour, it got really into Kate Bush. Okay, great. Not the politician. I don't know if there's actually a Kate Bush, the politician, but Kate Bush, the musician. Exactly, yes. I think it's because, so I'm really excited. We've talked about this before. I'm really excited for karaoke to come back. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I want to bust out some new karaoke songs. Oh, okay. So I was looking at like stuff from mid to late 80s. Like that seems to be my genre where women are sort of high squeaky singing as mm -hmm. opposed to like the very beautiful low like Beyonce sultry and I was listening to her song I got these new headphones that go all the way over your ears are those the headphones we threw on the ground those are the that's the booby trap headphones so if anyone walks through the door they're caught on the headphones <laughs> and I was listening to her song running up that hill mm -hmm. and it was just like such a fucking banger that like my body did like that thing like when you're listening to like certain Lord songs where you just feel like the beat in your whole body and you're like this woman is me and I am this woman and like it represents like this whole big beautiful sphere of womanhood mm -hmm. and, and I just like did some white girl dancing in here before you got here. Oh I love that. Good. And uh, yeah. My, but she isn't. I was looking at her Wikipedia. Not a very interesting backstory. Oh really? 
Yeah, just like... Just a successful musician. Yeah, did everything right. Ah, what a bummer. I know. Except for maybe those bangs in 1987, but... But everyone was doing it, so she probably was doing it right (laughs) for the time. That's true. Like, Britney in her denim dress, like, everyone was doing just fine. I mean, I could pull off a denim dress. I would. Mm -hmm. I would. What's your latest obsession? Hmm... I'm going to see Drive and Drag this weekend. Oh, yeah. In Philadelphia. So, very excited for that. Mm-hmm. Favorite queens are going to be there, like Gottmik and Rose and Vanessa Vanji and Mateo. I'm so excited. It's going to be so fucking cool. And so, I guess that kind of segues us in because I'm traveling to Philadelphia <laughs> where it's always sunny. And today's episode is all about travel. It is. It is. We should say that. Alicia and I are traveling, mm-hmm. big capital T traveling um, at the end of June. Mm-hmm. So after this episode, are we gone by the time this comes out? No. I no. think we leave the next, I leave the, the following week. Monday. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to, Patreon's going to be fine. Patreon's going to exist and have a wonderful time. And then you guys are going to get um, a sort of taste of a Patreon exclusive that we uh, we posted a while ago. So Ooh. get excited for that. I just want to let you guys know that like we do a lot of stuff over there. So we thought that maybe you'd like to know what we're up to. Boom. Boom, baby. Yeah, come join us on Patreon. It's where we leave in all the secrets. <laughs> oh, wink. So this was a huge topic. Too big. So we were like, let's figure out where witches can go to travel. Honestly, too many options. Too many places. Hundreds. Thousands, even. Possibly. I don't count. I got to question nine, mm-hmm. and then I was like, I'm so tired. <sighs> That's fair. So we picked some from the Patreon and then came up with a couple more that we thought we would be really interested in doing. So these are, what, five fun, witchy places that you should go. And why. And why. Boom. We've got you all fucking covered. Really, we just want to be like... With our sunglasses on, drinking margs on the beach, titties out, as always, because they need that perfect tan. Lots of sunscreen, though. You know, it's a light tan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That summer breeze. And then, you know, just hearing the hysterics of spell casting behind me. (laughs) The bloody hysterics. Like some blood magic, just some shit going down. Mm -hmm. But I'm drinking this margarita and I don't care. All right. Now we're going to fly. To New Orleans. Ooh. All the way down to Louisiana. Louisiana? Louisiana. Duchess. Okay. (laughs) Why are we going to New Orleans? One, it's awesome. Cool. It's personally just one of my favorite places to visit. And once you step into New Orleans, you can just feel like the buzz of mystical energy. It's just in the air and it's all around you. And it also might just be the buzz of insects in the swamp and the bayou. (laughs) but it could be magic it really could be magic (laughs) why can't it be both why can't it be both you can go for a big festival like mardi gras or the jazz and heritage festival or you can even go any day of the fucking week and there will still be plenty of surprises and the food is so good can't talk about the stonehenge concessions because apparently you're eating old people but the food in (laughs) new orleans slaps you guys it's so fucking good you get beignets and coffee from cafe du monde no no i know this isn't witchy i'm just telling you and you eat like creole food from jambalaya to gumbo and i heard the seafood is so good i'm just you know i just like new orleans but that's really it but you're like okay i'm a witch why would i want to go there 
well, one, you fucking idiot. New Orleans is the home <laughs> of voodoo in the United States. If you don't know fucking anything. If you don't, if you live under a rock. Well, I'm sorry. We should treat you better. I'm really, are you okay? I don't care that much. <laughs> but I should be nicer to you. And you're right. New Orleans voodoo arrived during the United States colonial period when enslaved peoples from West Africa and Sub-Sahara brought their cultures and beliefs to Louisiana. Brought is a very soft word, meaning they were kidnapped and taken here to be slaves. These beliefs mixed with the Catholicism that colonists had already brought down into southern Louisiana created Louisiana voodoo, otherwise known as New Orleans voodoo. And this branch of voodoo is connected to nature, spirits, and ancestors. And the practice includes working with roots, herbs, charms, and amulets, and rituals that are similar in how Catholicism creates ritualistic spaces for worship. In 1791, New Orleans voodoo grew when followers fled Haiti during the slave revolt and moved to Louisiana. Throughout the 1800s, voodoo queens and kings became political and spiritual figures within the New Orleans community. These figures include voodoo king Dr. John, otherwise known as Bayou John. Dr. John was born in Senegal and then kidnapped and sent to work in Cuba. He ended up moving to New Orleans as a cotton roller and bought property on Bayou Road. Dr. John was known for being a fortune teller and a fantastic voodoo healer. He was also the teacher of Marie Laveau. Oh, and we covered Marie Laveau in like our third episode? Yeah, episode? very early season one, which yes shit. Do not go back and listen. No, I don't know. Maybe do. You might learn something. I might learn something. But Marie Laveau was the voodoo queen of New Orleans. She had lived in the French Quarter on St. Anne Street and would receive visitors looking for magical solutions at all hours at night. Marie was a free woman of color who adopted children, fed the hungry, and nursed the sick during the yellow fever epidemic. So she was a G. She was a boss. She was a cool bitch. She was also known to help enslaved people escape to freedom. Like, literally, this woman's running her own fucking business and helping everyone else on the side. Community leaders. In 1929, so we're going to speed through history a little bit, a tea room called Bottom of the Cup Tea Room opened. For most of the 1900s, it was illegal to take money for fortune telling in Louisiana. So when the Bottom of the Cup Tea Room opened, the shop would charge customers for tea and biscuits, but then you could get your future red on the house. Oh, so then maybe were they like more expensive, like these little biscuit These guys? little biscuits might have been a little bit pricier than normal biscuits, but gotta know what your fortune says the rumor is that politicians from all over the state of louisiana would go to the tea room to hear about their prospects in upcoming local and state elections so this place was thriving i also love this shows up again later i can't remember if i wrote it into one of like the later places to visit but politicians we had our episode what about um reagan's astrologer oh nancy reagan's astrologer yes yes politicians are into this witchy shit oh they love it they try to tell you that they're not but they put on that little suit and underneath that little suit is probably like a some sort of blood vial that they have had blessed with a uh, human hair mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so keep right next out. to that cross right next yes right if next you, to that cross necklace if you turn the cross around it is made of dog blood ah perfect my favorite dog of course <laughs> In 1972, High Priestess Mary Juanita Toops chartered the Religious Order of Witchcraft, which became the first coven to be registered as an official religious organization within the state of Louisiana. With the charter that made witchcraft 
an officially recognized religion within Louisiana. She's a starter. It's how ha- it happens in New Orleans, baby. And okay, you're like, history's great. We love history. This is all good. But where do I go? Because you're gonna drop me off at Bourbon Street, and I'm drunk the whole time. So you need a little structure, and I totally understand that. Cemetery tours, especially to see Marie Laveau's grave. In the last two decades, there have been a lot of vandalism on New Orleans graves, including Marie Laveau's. So if you want to see her grave, you will need to go through an official tour to see it. Allegedly, when you visit her grave, you can ask Marie Laveau for a wish. Not sure if you can still do this with a tour guide. Throwing that out there now just to not, you know, to temper your excitement. But legend has it that you go to her grave, draw an X on her tomb, turn around three times, knock on her tombstone, and yell out your wish. Which seems excessive, but, you know, it's magic. If your wish was granted, you have to come back to her grave, sneak past your little tour guide, and you're supposed to draw a circle around the X that you left and leave her an offering. Is her grave, is her tomb, like, covered in X's and O's? X's and O's. She's like... Hugs and kisses. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Isn't that crazy? If you want to feel even more connected with Marie Laveau, you can stay at the Inn on St. Anne's, which features the Marie Laveau Annex, where Marie Laveau actually lived. So it's like the cottage where she actually lived. I mean, nicer, better water. (laughs) Probably better furnishings, too. But Mm -hmm. Less bugs, less rats. uh, Allegedly. Bottom of the cup tea room is still functioning almost 100 years later. Now, instead of buying tea and biscuits, you can actually pay for the psychic service. I know you wanted to just pay for like tea and biscuits, but it's okay. It is what it is. Bottom of the cup tea room also has wands, amulets, and tea for sale. Oh, cute. Oh, I want to get an amulet. Yeah. Amulet feels like such a cool, like, I just feel like. The power. Yeah. Just like, I have an amulet. Yeah, it it seems very magical. Super magical. You can also go to Congo Square. It is located in Armstrong Park and served as a gathering place for enslaved peoples to practice voodoo and other expressions of their cultures. Back in the day, it would be full of drum circles, dancing, and spiritual ceremonies. Congo Square now is still open today and continues to host cultural meetings from time to time. The last place I'll touch upon is the New Orleans Historic Voodoo Museum. This place is so fucking cool. The museum is located in the heart of the French Quarter between Bourbon and Royal Streets. You could probably walk in there with your alcohol. You might have to leave your cup of alcohol outside, though. I don't know. Check your margarita. Definitely. Check it with the guy out front. And visitors can explore inside the museum and learn about the practices and culture of voodoo. Highly recommend. They have some really fucking cool shit in there. And if you're like, okay, I'm down, how do I book my trip? If you're in the U.S., baby, New Orleans is just a plane ticket or a road trip away. And if you are flying, you'll fly into Louis Armstrong New Orleans International Airport. If you are outside of the United States, check with your local government agency because I could not do that for every country. I know some places are not, like, you're not even allowed to leave until next year. I know Australia is, like, super locked down still (sighs) until 2022. So rude. Keeping them kangaroos to themselves. (laughs) Keeping those good kangaroos from us. From us. Another place you can go is Iceland. Gorgeous scenery, very north and chilly, but lush and green. Unless there's a volcano erupting, then it's kind of dangerous, which is sexy. (laughs) It's very sexy. So sexy. 
I tried going to Iceland in 2020, but then that didn't happen, obviously. Well, I wrote sad face, I and that's how that. I feel. Yeah, I'm sorry. Iceland is home to some crazy mystical energy. Icelanders have been using magical spells for centuries for practical everyday purposes and sometimes just some really crazy fucking stuff. And it all goes back to the age of Vikings, which is metal. Yes. Big mustache, big beard, but braided. But braided, because, you know, a little femme. Yeah. Big muscles. Yeah. During these Viking times, Icelanders would do magical rituals called, and I found no pronunciation for this, so I might be totally wrong, but I think it's satyrs, which is a type of shamanic ceremony. Allegedly, these ceremonies would involve altered states of consciousness and cross-dimensional journeys, all in the hopes for sorcerers and sorceresses to gain secret knowledge and power given to them from the gods, specifically Odin and Freya. Witchcraft was commonly practiced in Iceland up until the 17th century when the Age of Fire occurred. Oh, no. I know. The Age of Fire happened between 1654 and 1690, over 300 years after Europe began persecuting witches. Europe was not done yet, but that's when they began. The inspiration to persecute witches and sorcerers hit Iceland, and during those 36 years, over 200 people were charged with either practicing magic or being in possession of magical items. Usually these accusations came if someone fell ill or had an accident and then a finger was pointed at someone. We know how it goes. If the officials found any weird objects that could possibly be magical in the accused's home, you were probably a witch. It looked pretty suspicious. Of the over 200 people accused, though, only 21 were burned at the stake, of which 20 were men and one was a woman. What did they do with them? What? Like when they didn't burn them at the stake of two. I think you... Shot him with a crossbow? No, no. I think 200 people were accused. Oh. 21 were killed. I was like, they just disappeared them? Like, they just drowned them all. Oh, God. As listeners of Witch Yes, we're used to hearing about how women are the ones deemed as witches and burned at the stake. However, I guess back in Icelandic society, practicing magic openly was commonly done by men. Prior to Christianity, women had performed magic, but during the Catholic Middle Ages, this changed as almost only men were accepted into the convents and Latin schools on Iceland. And it's kind of like once you know Latin, you can like figure out how to do a spell. Oh, 100% you summon anybody. Exactly. Ring, ring, ring. That's a tone. Yeah. So if you're not educating women to learn Latin, they're not going to be able to do magic. I mean, one on one makes five. It makes sense. The most famous sorcerer in Iceland was named Galdra Lofter who lived during the early 1700s. It is believed that Galdra studied the black arts day and night for nine years. Literally how they wrote it was nine summers and nine winters. And I was like, you guys, that's nine years. You you don't have to be this extra. You don't, yeah. Like, we don't need this kind of elaboration. We need the word count. We need the word count. I'm trying to hit 400. (laughs) And Galdra could recite every band verse of every forbidden book. Which, yeah, that's also a little redundant. So maybe it was that word count that they were trying to hit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. According to Guide to Iceland, one day when Galdra was to travel home for Christmas, he decided to try out his magical abilities by ironing the hands and feet of his chambermaid before putting her in a harness and riding her home through thin air. Which there are a lot of logistics that I don't quite understand, which is why I literally copy and pasted that and gave credit to Guide to Iceland so that you guys can look at that website, not me for answers. Does she fly? I don't know. So 
Okay. She okay, irons so the hands and air. feet. Does it make... Like wings? Yeah. Like, is she flapping like some kind of drone? Maybe. I guess that's the only thing that makes sense if they're flying through the air. The ordeal drove the woman mad, which... Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. What man will take me now? I Look at my fucking hands. <laughs> and left her bedridden for the rest of her days, which... That's sad. So she was done for. So this chambermaid could not speak of her torment so long as Galdra was alive. That was part of the the thing. If she was bedridden for the rest of her days, she probably just wasn't able to speak it at all. As Galdra's ambition and power grew, so did his mental instability. A very like the craft sort of situation. It is believed that he descended into a complete psychosis after failing to obtain a legendary grimoire from the grave of a long dead bishop. This grimoire... I believe to be called the Rodskina, supposedly could control Satan himself. After failing to retrieve the grimoire, Galdra lost his mind and was placed under the care of a senile priest, yet Galdra managed to escape and sailed onto the sea where the story goes that a giant furry black claw emerged from the depths of the waters, grabbed Galdra, and dragged him into the sea, and allegedly he is dead but we have zero evidence. They never found the they body. They never found the body. He could be alive. And that is why, to this day, you have to fly into Iceland. Because if you take a boat... You will die. The claw is hungry again. Ooh. Today, Iceland is home to many witches and pagans that subscribe to the ancient Icelandic mythology of Asatru, which is a focus on Nordic gods and goddesses along with Valkyries, elves, and dwarves. I think we have a couple Patreon people that, uh, or at least baby witches that practice Asatru. Ooh. They would be the experts on that. So they can come at me and be like, you said that wrong. And I'll be like, probably. Okay, here's the deal. If we said any of that wrong, what you're going to do is you're going to start your own podcast. No. And then. A rival podcast. And then we're going to listen to your podcast and talk about how you say. I'm not. Minneapolis wrong. <laughs> So there. You can go to the Museum of Icelandic Sorcery and Witchcraft. And this place looks so dope, dude. The Museum of Sorcery and Witchcraft in the West Fjords attracts over 15,000 visitors each year. The museum's main focus is on the detailed and arcane rituals and enchantments that the ancient regional sorcery called for, such as summoning udder-sucking demons to steal goat's milk or forcing someone to fall in love with you for sex. And to make a baby. Oh, but to making the baby is the important part. That is. And the museum has some cool shit. It has magical staves, which are basically runes, a zombie. Ooh. <laughs> and oh my God. So I read this Guide to Iceland article about the museum. Literally, this is where like all my information is coming from. And they had a photo with a guy next to the zombie. And the next paragraph down, it says, unfortunately, this guy died in 2018. Sad face, like literal sad face. He will be missed. So did like taking a picture with the zombie kill him? <gasps> Or did he die of natural causes? Why didn't they say? Why didn't they? Why did they say he died? I don't need this. Is I don't know. I'm just trying to visit Iceland. <laughs> I don't need to know that Fjord died. I don't know this man. The museum also has the Sorcerer's Screed, which is the most extensive selection of ancient Icelandic spells in existence, each accompanied by a, a sigil or a stave and detailed instructions in its respective ceremonial use and desired function. It's crazy. The article went on to tell which stave and directions you can use to raise the dead. Like, this place seems bonkers. And it's just in a museum? Yeah, you can take a picture of it. 
and just walk out. You could just go there? And just raise the dead. No! And if you're not convinced by this, I have one word for you. Necropants. Go on. These are magical pants. Yes. Dating back to the 17th century. I was hoping. That are made from a dead man's skin. That's not what I was hoping. (laughs) (laughs) I take it back. And I have to read aloud what the Icelandic website What's On wrote about these pants. To make these pants, you need to ask permission from the person whose skin you will use. After this person dies, you will skin the body from the waist down, making a fashionable pair of pants. When you wear these pants, they will cling to your own skin, so you will not be able to take them off easily. In order to attract fortune, you have to keep a coin in the scrotum. So it's got to be a man. Yeah, I guess you're skinning a man. Yeah, person with a penis. This coin will work like a sort of magnet, pulling all coins out of your surroundings towards it. Success guaranteed, they put an exclamation mark. When you are dying after a long and rich life, (laughs) you have to find someone to take the pants from you. This person has to step into one leg of the pants while you step with one leg out of it at the same time. This is the only way to pass the pants on so that you can die in peace. What the fuck? Please take my pants. No, you have to get in. You're going to see my dick too. Don't think about the dick too much, okay? Just get in get in one leg. It'll make you rich. I promise. I promise. I swear this isn't a prank. Like, what are these people on? I mean, it's cold up there, you know, but like, mm-hmm. how cold is it? Stealing people's skin pants cold? Would you let me take your skin? I don't think you'd want it, but sure. I think I, that I just felt like more behavior I would do. I'm just very surprised that you're the one after these riches. I I do just very much want to be rich. I just want to pay rent. I want to quit my job. <laughs> and I want to have a, a good life. And I want to apparently I go places. Not to Iceland. <laughs> People want my skin. Another reason to go to Iceland are the hidden people. Because if that's not enough for you, grab a car, drive around Iceland, and you may see some little tiny houses outside that are for the hidden people. The elves that live invisibly side by side along humans. Yes, they have little houses built all around Iceland for the hidden people. (laughs) It's so cute. Usually these houses are in bushes or at the bottom of a hill. They're fucking adorable. They have like paint on windows and shit like all looks so good. And the last place you need to know to go to is Alphaborg. You can visit this giant rock formation in East Iceland called the Alphaborg, where it's believed the elf queen lives. The rock is supposed to be a manor to the highest ranking among the elves, with many, many hidden people living nearby. City center. City center, yeah. Come to the city. Little market, invisible markets. Mm -hmm. Invisible economy. Probably like riding ants. So cute. Invisibly? It's crazy. You're like, I'm fucking in. How do I go? And you can go. The Icelandic border is open. Travelers, however, are required to undergo two COVID-19 tests with a five-day quarantine between or provide a certificate proving you are either fully vaccinated against COVID-19 or have previously contracted and recovered from the disease. So you're like, fuck yeah, I'm vaccinated. Here we go. Passengers will also need to provide a negative COVID test, even if you took the shot, taken no more than 72 hours before landing in Iceland. If you don't take this COVID test, you may be fined up to 100,000 Icelandic kroner, which is about $829. That's a lot. It's a lot of money. They're like not playing. And if you're ready to not play too, 
good, Iceland, baby? No, we aren't. This is not a fucking game. This is not. <laughs> this is my skin and my life. And my life. My livelihood. And if you're ready to live, it's time we go down. Okay, so we went. Where did we go? We went to. Okay, we're going back and forth. So we went to the UK. Yeah. And we came back to New Orleans. Yeah. And then we went to Iceland. And now we're going to go. Tecate Mako, Mexico. Oh, thank God. I need to warm up. It's cold up there. Yes, yes. So Cate Mako is a city in southern Veracruz in Mexico. It's settled on Lake Cate Mako on the Gulf side of Mexico, and it is known as the witchcraft capital of the country. Ooh. Every year in March, they hold a three-day-long event called the annual Congreso Nacional de Brujos de Cate Mako. Ooh. It's a fancy, and by fancy I mean Spanish way of saying... The National Conference of Witches in Mexico. Or sorry, Yay. which is in Catemaco. So here's a history. The land surrounding Lake Catemaco was originally settled by the Olmecs. But the name actually comes from the Nahuatl word meaning place of the burned houses. This is likely a reference to an eruption by, and there was no how to pronounce video, so I'm going to say Titipetl. That sounds good. Or what is now known as San Martin Volcano. But when did this place go from the place of the burned houses to a place of the magic houses and magical people? Well, let me tell you. Ooh. The witchcraft in the Brujeria of Catemaco is likely partially remnant from pre-Hispanic colonization that was able to survive due to its relative isolation. Like a lot of pre-colonization spiritual practices, much like in New Orleans, practitioners were able to sort of insert their religion into Catholicism, which already has so much ritual and so much sort of splendor and gold and, you know. It fits right in, yeah. Pizzazz. One of the major tourist attractions of Katemako, besides the boardwalk and the delicious restaurants and, like, the waterfalls and, like, the fun, you know, beaches and shit, is the Basilica of Our Lady Mount Carmel. Oh, okay. And if you say it's Carmel, Alicia and I grew up in Carmel, Indiana. Yeah, so fuck you. And I hope... You think about that next time you email me. There are different ways to say different words. And that's okay. That's fine. The story goes that a fisherman named Juan Bautista Catama was visited by the Virgin Mary at El Tigal Cave. As proof of her divine presence, she left the imprint of her little feet <laughs> on some rocks there. Okay. And then transformed herself into a statue. Well, Here's that's, a picture. That's like a waste. Here's a picture of the statue. She was like, I want to spend the rest of eternity like this. Pop! But the party really didn't start until the 1970s when Gonzalo Aguirre had this big idea. Gonzalez Aguirre was the head sorcerer in Catemaco, a title he inherited from a man named Manuel Utrera, who had always had a big dream to unite all of the different magical practices in I the love region. That. Right, right. Stronger together. He was like, I'm Mufasa, and all of you will be owned by me. Everything the light touches, come. I am your king. And Gonzalo was like, ah, oh, my predecessor, I will honor your wishes. And so Aguirre collected the other brothers of his 13 sorcerers, because I guess they had a cool brotherhood of sorcerers. That is cool. And proposed an event called the National Conference of Sorcerers in Katsimako. But it is also publicly known as the Fiesta de Ritos Ceremonias y Artisianas Magicus, or the Festival of Rite Ceremonies and Magical Crafts. Ooh. The reason it's not called the Festival of Sorcerers or the, the Congress of Sorcerers is because the Catholic Church in the area did not like that. They didn't like it. That they were like, sense. we want you to have your party. This, we don't like this. We don't condone this. 
don't like you. Jesus is the true wizard, so back off. <laughs> Have you seen our cave? Come on. Have you seen our statue? The event attracts witches, fortune tellers, psychics, and healers from all over with thousands of visitors pouring into Katemoko from all around the world. And they get it gets busier and busier every year. And now that you guys know. It's going to be swamped this year. Oh, man. Oh, wait. It's over this year. Next year. Next year. Next year. The 13 sorcerers chose early March because it coincided with many rebirth and renewal rituals that already existed in the area for hundreds of years. So they were like, what's the best time? Well, we already got Ostara and, you know, all these other, I don't know any other ones. Litha, Lunasa. Luna, Halloween. Samhain. (laughs) So you're like, I want to go. Now, to get to Katemako from New York, you have to fly from JFK to Mexico City. Then from Mexico City to Middle Mintitlan, Min Mintitlan, Mintitlan, yeah, to Mintitlan. That's probably not how you say it, but we're going with it because it's got tit in it. International Airport, and then you gotta rent a car because your ass is driving two hours north. So this whole trip is gonna run you about six hundred dollars. But I did look at the Airbnbs, and they are not that bad, and they are very <laughs> cute. <laughs> And then here's some pictures. I just, it's like it's on the lake and they've got waterfalls and that basilica is really adorable. And by adorable, I mean terrifying. Very scary. Yeah. And then next up, you're like, I keep busting between North America and Europe. I need to get into a different time zone. I'm going to go to Sikihor, Philippines. Now, Sikihor is a small island in south central part of Visayas, a group of islands in the Philippines. It's known as Isla del Fuego y Bruja, the island of fire or the island of witches. Oh, okay. And here's a history. The legend of the creation of Sikihor is really interesting. It's that it was born from a great storm that engulfed the entire region. And on top of that great storm, there was a terrible earthquake that shook the earth and the sea. It was like a bad day. And up from the quaking sea emerged an island, which came to be known as Sikihor. How majestic. It, it came up and it was like, this is my name. And you were like, you're a living island. Turtles all the way down. Oh, no. All the sources I looked at made sure to mention that to this day, giant clamshell fossils can be found at the pinks of Mount Bandala'an, the highest point of Sikihor, which means it did likely rise from the sea. What the fuck? Though Sikihor is so tiny, it was on route for Spanish missionaries and trade vessels on their way to East Asia. What was so alluring about the island is that at night, it seemed to glow with a light as you passed it, which is where the named Island of Fuego comes from. What's actually glowing on the island is a large population of fireflies. That's adorable. That take refuge in Sikihora Forest during the day, and then at night seem to set the entire island on fire, just like with big, beautiful, haunting butt glows. Oh, I love that. Ugh, sleeping there must be so hard, though. Hot. Hot, but... Just light everywhere. Oh, you're thinking, I was thinking for the bugs. I was like, yeah, it's like they have to sleep during the day. I was thinking for me. I'm the one going on this trip. You need a mask. My bag's packed. You need a little eye mask. In addition, if you've ever watched a movie about pirates or long voyages to the new world, you know that these fucking seafaring idiots are always getting sick. Whether it's scurvy, lice, or syphilis from all the winches everyone keeps talking about, sometimes you have to stop at a remote island and ask people for help. Or just throw up. Or... I'm sick of throwing up in the ocean. (laughs) I want to throw up on land. (laughs) The satisfaction of being able to bury it with sand. (laughs) The Spanish sailors often stopped at Sikihor because when their men would come back, they would generally be healed, like 100% better. 
But once the native peoples of the island shared their traditional techniques, the only thing that the Spanish people saw was witchcraft. And oh, so, they, so first it was cures, and yeah, now it's witchcraft. Exactly, exactly. Which it's like, if you didn't see my big cool bone collection, you wouldn't have thought any different. Yeah. I have here written, sorry, it's not leeches, Pedro. <laughs> And that's where the title Island of Witches comes from. I didn't write this down, but I thought it was really interesting that when they came to Siquijor and the Spaniards asked, what's the name of this place? Which people often do. They say, what is the name of this place? And the king thought that he was asking what his name was. Siquijor. And, and he was like, Siquijor. And they're like, ah, Siquijor. What a beautiful place. And he's like, you think I'm beautiful? Blushing. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. You're beautiful. Now today, Sikihor is a vibrant and modernized place that has thankfully held on to its traditional healing techniques. Many witches on the island are devout Catholics, as it seems to be everywhere. Yep. And will use Catholic iconography and holidays as markers for when to brew potions and cast spells. The week before Easter, funny enough, is a popular time to begin brewing potions that will be used the entire year. It's like they make up one Ooh. big pot. Okay. And then they're like... That Jesus death juice. Yes. It's like, mm, now's the time. They even hold a festival during the Holy Week called the Healing Festival, where healers come from all over the island to showcase the sacred and positive nature of their witchcraft. They did this because people... You hear Island of Witches and you don't want to go visit. And people were like, no, it's... Uh, island of Fire. <laughs> They're like, oh, I don't, I don't know. This is not to say that all witches in Sikihor are simply healers. Katayano Umbasa comes from a line of witches and has been studying the craft for over 60 years. This was passed on from his father. He says that most of his customers are seeking black magic, oh. a potion to cause sickness oh. or to make an ex-lover not be able to forget your face. Apparently, the jealous and scorned lover is a popular visitor. So if you are a jealous or scorned lover, this is the place for you. Yes, exactly. Don't go to get the skins. You don't need money. No. You're going to Sikihor. Yeah. You want revenge. <laughs> don't we all? Plus, Umbasa said that with the modernization of Sikihor came modern medicine, which means the people who come to healers for help are those who like can't afford medical costs. And so love potions are going to run you probably about $700. But Umbasa says that healing is generally kept as low as possible because we're witches, but we're not like bad guys yeah that's true now if you're willing to take three planes and travel 44 hours you too can get to sikihor i am willing so you're gonna go from jfk to taiwan's uh taoyuan international airport to ninoy aquino international airport to dumaguete simbulan airport and then you can get to Sikihor for just $2,000 and also an additional $31. $2, I don't know, for revenge? Like, that's worth it. If you want to go the other way around, instead of going across the Pacific Ocean, you can fly from JFK to Dublin to Abu Dhabi to Nanoy to Dumaguete in just a measly 59 hours and 45 minutes for $22,620. How did it get so much more expensive? I don't know. Maybe the Irish, they say they, they love gold. They just hiked up the cost. They're like these people, they want revenge. Yeah. And they're willing to pay. That's true. Gorgeous. Isn't that so beautiful? I was like, like, oh man, beautiful jungle, like beautiful, like. It is very, very pretty. Lots of bugs. I don't know. Lots of bugs. I hope the fireflies are still around. You know, with climate change, I don't know how fireflies are doing. We should ask one. We'll put it in the agenda. Last place to visit, Peru, baby. Lima, Peru is the capital of Peru, located right on the coast of the Pacific Ocean, south of the equator. 
So we went from the Philippines. Now we're flying on over to Peru. Bada bing, bada boom. We got to visit South America. Peruvian food. So good, you guys. Have some ceviche or Papa La Juan Caina. Like, oh, they have such good food. Summer sunsets in Lima are very colorful and known by locals as Cielo de Brujas, Spanish for Sky of Witches, since the sky commonly turns shades of orange, pink, and red around 7 p.m. Very romantic. Yet Peruvian people from all walks of life also seriously believe in the power of brujería. In Peru and most of South America, there are shamans, brujos and brujas, and curanderos, which are like curers, healers, that you can go to to solve sickness, broken hearts, business ventures, bad luck, and spiritual threats. Witchcraft is practiced in numerous small villages on the coast, highland, and jungle areas throughout Peru. I have to level with you. Finding an exact timeline of events of Peruvian witchcraft on the internet was way more difficult than it probably should have been. So here's like the little bit that I could find. There was a mass migration out of Lima for witches during the Spanish Inquisition. During this time, many women were accused of being witches and had to flee from Lima or else be killed. Very like, it seems like every country has their own little witchcraft problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That makes sense to me. Very sad. Many of these women fled to the village of Cachiche, which is in the Ica region, which is about a four and a half hour drive from Lima. But keep in mind... These bitches weren't driving. They were yeah, like, like walking. They do not have cars. It was much longer for them. According to local legend, one of the most famous witches of Cachiche was Julia Hernandez Pecho Viuda de Diaz in the 1900s. She was known to have cured the stammer of a local boy named Fernando Leon de Vivero, who later became a congressman in Lima. Once Fernando was successful, he wanted to share his gratitude for Julia and erected a statue in her honor in Cachiche. The statue is in the form of a woman with her hands stretched upwards towards the heaven with both an owl and a skull at each of her sides carved out of a single huarongo tree, which is a tree that's native in Peru. That's so fucking metal. Isn't that cool? That's like such an album cover. Yeah. That's Lord's new cover. <laughs> it is said that Julia died in 1987 at the age of 106. On her deathbed, Julia made a prophecy that if the seventh head of a palm tree appeared, the city would be wiped out. The story goes that a normal palm tree in the village did become distorted over the years after her death, and in 1997, an El Nino torrential downpour occurred that threatened to flood the entire city. As the flood tide surged towards them, the villagers noticed that the palm tree had grown a seventh head. No! They rushed out to chop it off, and once they did, the rain stopped, and the incoming mudslide halted right on the border of the city. God damn it, fucking witches with their fucking prophecies! Witches? Like, what? I'm glad, no, what she was doing was saying, this is going to happen, and when it does happen, I'm going to give you the problem-solving skills. Or maybe it, it was like cut off the seventh head and then it wouldn't happen i don't know if they were a little too late or if they were right on time when we'll never know we'll never know the statue of julia can still be found today in cachiche's witch park it also has many other statues in the park including statues of other witches and even pan the fawn another spooky peruvian story is about sarah ellen roberts who is rumored to be one of dracula's three brides and she came to peru well she did she was charged of being a witch vampire and murderer back in England and was executed there. Her husband, not Dracula, but John Roberts, searched for a place to bury Sarah's body, but the Church of England forbade him from burying her in the UK. 
because she was like a witch vampire. They didn't want they don't want to mess with that shit. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, that's just thinking ahead. Exactly. John was able to bury her in Pisco, Peru, not that far from Cachiche, actually, and only a three hour drive south of Lima. And so John buried his beloved wife in Pisco. But there was a catch, as there always is a catch. Before Sarah was executed, she proclaimed that she would rise from the dead and take vengeance in 80 years. However, 80 years later and nothing weird happened when 1993 rolled around. Throngs of people, however, did gather holding wooden stakes and garlic cloves and holy relics in front of Sarah's grave. These people came ready to fight Sarah. They did not care. Like demon, vampire, spirit, like we're going to fucking take her down. But like I said, like nothing happened. I don't know if that'd be like super disappointing or if that'd be like the biggest relief of your life. I bet for some people it was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. But then some people were like, I really, I, I, I wanted to I planned myself. for this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like, I bought this outfit. For my country. I bought this, these steaks. So nothing continued happening until 2007 when a deadly earthquake shook the town. All of the graves in the cemetery had been upturned, broken, or in some form of disrepair. All of the graves, except Sarah Ellen Roberts. Weird. Her grave was untouched by the earthquake. Some believe her to still be a vampire. Some now believe her to be a saint since her tomb was untouched. However, since that day the earthquake struck, locals claim to see a ghostly woman wander the town's dusty streets at night. No. no, So we're going to go to Peru because this sounds crazy. But we're going to bring a sword. We're going to bring a sword. And what we're going to do in Lima, the biggest witchy reason to go to Lima and wander around Peru is to see the Mercado de Brujas, otherwise known as the Witch's Market. Located in Lima, just outside of the Gamara train station, is a market with cures for ailments and different types of witchy remedies. The market's focus is on the traditional folk medicine that is widely practiced among indigenous groups and the greater Peruvian society. You can find health supplements, including collagen, maca root, and aphrodisiacs. You will also find palo santo, which is another tree native to Peru, dried llama fetus, which is disgusting, divination cards, charms, soaps, perfumes, crystals, and amulets to ward off evil and attract good fortune. They also sell ritual items such as snake skins, seashells, cactus leaves, and hatun hampi, which is a mixture of local dirt, rock, seeds, and spices. And if you need guidance, witch doctors and healers are also at the market to help customers through treatments and readings. Let's go. Let's get our ticket. A flight from New York City to Peru actually like isn't that bad. It's about an eight-hour flight, and you'll spend at least $560. You'll definitely need to like rent a car to go to Pisco and Cachiche in mm-hmm. the Ica region. But it does look like fully vaccinated people are allowed to travel to Peru, but that there may be a risk of getting and spreading COVID-19 variants. The CDC recommends to continue being the six feet apart thing and wearing a mask. So, you know what? I'm just, you choose your own future. So choose your own adventure book. You roll the dice. Exactly. Any final thoughts on our list? I just want to say that I'm very proud of all of the research that we did because this was hefty. I also want to say that there were at least 10 other places on this list that we did not get to. We had a baby witch from the Czech Republic. We have a lot of Scandinavian witches. And so I would really love to do another episode and explore some of those places. We also didn't touch like every continent. And so it would be nice to be like, okay, here's your 2022 witchy travel 
plans. Boom. Where we're going to hit all the continents mm-hmm. because we're allowed to go everywhere. Yes. Now. And you can't stop me. I'm 31. Which is in the news. Which is. Here we go. We've got two updates for you and a birthday. <laughs> Isn't that cute? Up first, Hocus Pocus 2 updates. Of course, we know it's officially official. But for other people who didn't know, it's now officially official official. Holy shit. It's like triple D-dipple official. It's happening. It's happening. The film will be directed by Anne Fletcher, the director of hits such as The Proposal and 27 Dresses. Perfect. Anne put out a press release saying, now more than ever, people need to laugh. We should be laughing every day, and there is so much fun to be had with these three unbelievable women playing delicious characters from such a beloved film. The film will premiere on Disney Plus in 2022. So not this year, but next year. I mean, they have to film it. They have to film it first, and then they have to edit it. Mm -hmm. Then they have to find the music, Mm -hmm. because it can't suck. No. It's a lot of work. I hope it's not going to suck. I really just want Binks to come back, so I'm like... But he's dead, dead, right? Did they find his body? Well, remember, he died as, like, the cat, and he walks like the little ghost boy, Thackeray. Oh, that's right. Into the right. sunset. That's right. Or sunrise with his little sister. Shit, yeah. Yeah. But maybe he comes back. I mean, we haven't uh, visited uh, reincarnation in the Hocus Pocus universe, perhaps. Well, yeah, and if these witches are coming back, and they're supposed to be dead, dead, I don't know. We will have to find out. We have a Witches of Scotland campaign update. So in a previous episode, we talked about the Witches of Scotland campaign, an organization who wants the persecutions in Scotland from 1563 to 1736 as part of the Witchcraft Act to be recognized by the Scottish government. So far, it has not been. The Witches of Scotland now have a new proposal, which is to open a museum in honor of the 2,500 executions that had occurred during the Witchcraft Act. With the witch hunt death toll in Scotland suspected to be five times higher than in any other country in Europe, the idea for the museum evolved from wanting a national memorial to a place where locals and tourists can go to learn about the dangers of spreading misinformation and false accusations. The Witches of Scotland campaign have based their museum proposal off of the Salem Witch Museum. Yet, however, they do make a note that the Salem Witch Trials got a fucking museum for the deaths of 19 people, and the Scottish government has not even issued an apology or a pardon for the deaths of 2,500 people? What the fuck? Why are they dragging their feet on this? I don't know. I don't understand. Just say so. What? Just say you're sorry. This is post-me too. Just say you're sorry. Come and it's on. Like- you weren't the one that killed them, unless you are also Dracula, which could have been. But which is a problem. We is another witch is in the news. Exactly. And as we learn more information, we will keep you all updated with the Witches of Scotland campaign. And I just want them to get their fucking museum. What a nice thing. Yeah, people love museums. People love museums. And our last story is celebrating the 400th birthday of Rebecca Nurse. Oh, yes. At 71 years old, Rebecca Nurse was the oldest victim of the Salem Witch Trials of 1692 and 1693. Rebecca's home in Danvers, Massachusetts is now a museum called the Rebecca Nurse Homestead, and it is the only home of someone executed from the trials that is open to the public. Many of the visitors to the Rebecca Nurse Homestead include us everyday regular witches, people with a fascination for the witch trials, and now with the help of 23andMe and Ancestry.com, people who believe to be descendants of Rebecca. Her legacy and her DNA lives on. Lives on. She beat all you motherfuckers. And that list of descendants is very large and even includes former presidential candidate Mitt Romney. 
What? Scrubs actor Zach Braff and I Love Lucy star Lucille Ball. That's crazy. They're all descended from her. Wow. For Rebecca Nurse's 400th birthday, the Rebecca Nurse Homestead invited people to send birthday cards to the home in honor of Rebecca Nurse. And many of Rebecca's descendants did just that. So they're like sending these like birthday cards to their great, 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 Isn't that cute? That's very cute. I love it. They sent postcards, Hallmark cards, and even like cards where you just give your child a piece of paper and they like draw a picture of a smiley face. Child art cards. Grandmas love that shit. Yeah. Her birthday was February 21st, 1621. And so, of course, happy belated birthday, Rebecca, from all of us at Witch Yes. You're the oldest grandmother we know. And now for our travel-filled episode. Super travel-y. Super informational. Had a baby witch come into the witchy travel post on Patreon. Mm -hmm. And they were like, I know that this isn't a place, but I'm really interested in travel altars. Ooh, because it's travel season. And so I didn't want you to think that we forgot you. So this is just a very quick, like, spark notes version of how to build a travel altar. Yay! This comes in seven parts. First part is, of course, the container. So this is the thing that you have to put shit in, and you have to be able to put that thing in your purse Mm -hmm. or in your backpack or in your luggage. So the altars can range from the size of your suitcase to what seems to be very common is a large Altoid tin. Oh, bigger doesn't always mean better, and bigger may not mean you can get it through TSA. And you do have to carry it, so keep in mind, what are you willing to carry? Exactly. On your witchy world tour, as you're going from UK to... New Orleans to Iceland to I forget the others. But just just think about this is the thing. This is the container for where you're going to put all your shit. Number two is candles. Do you have room for all those big expensive anointed candles? No. No. You need to save space for all your tchotchkes that you're going to pick up in Cancun. Yeah, you got to get magnets. You got to get like the little shot glasses for your mom. Mm-hmm. Like she loves that shit. A lighter with a woman's boobs on it. Oh, Come yeah. On. So I present to you. The tea candle. Love tea candles. They're so squat, which means that they're going to take up barely any space. And because they come with a little dish, they really don't require a lot of cleanup. White candles are better than no candles. True. And you can always drop a couple like sprigs of something magical in there if, uh, you know, if you're wanting to get a little jiggy with it. Yeah. Number two is oils. I'm not one for oils. Getting all those little jars through TSA when you can only take like three ounces of any liquid, that's just not happening, baby witch. Instead, pick an oil or two and soak a tiny cotton pad or a cotton ball in the oil. Set that up in a little Ziploc bag (laughs) and then use that to anoint yourself, an object, the passenger in the seat next to you, and just have a good fucking time. So number four is rocks. Baby witch, baby witch. Unless you are stuffing these rocks in your bras, which I know you like to do, I'm going to tell you. Does TSA like that? Are they going to stop you for having a rock in your bra? They'll definitely get patted down. Oh, yeah. And then that's, a you know. Yeah. But I think you probably have to take them out, put them in the bin, and then you got to put them back. If you're going to Peru, you don't want your rocks to get all wet. So I'm going to tell you. Two rocks. Only two. Two rocks, and that's it. Here's some examples of rocks you can bring that are great for traveling. Black tourmaline. Fantastic for protection and also very goth. Amethyst <laughs> for calm. Purple. I love it. That's great. Malachite, which we haven't talked about a lot, but it's used to prevent accidents. Oh. So if you have maybe flying anxiety, you're afraid to hail a cab, 
Don't Love worry, it. just bring some malachite. And then finally, moonstone, because this trip is about fun. And moonstones apparently are great for creating exhilarating and sparkling joy. Oh, okay. Number five, here's what I want you to do. You do not have room for all of those cool herbs. So what I want you to do is research the area that you're going to go to and consider what kind of naturally occurring floras and herbs are there. And then remember to forage responsibly. Number six, a needle and thread for any kind of binding spell that you might need and also to maybe sew up like uh, a button. Yeah, just in case. And then finally, use the inside of your travel altar to your advantage. And I think this is something people don't think about. That is free real estate for sigils, drawings of your deities, and cheat sheets from your grimoire. That's pretty smart. So get on it. That's probably the lightest thing you can do. Draw. You can just draw on your own shit. Fuck yeah. Love and that's it. it. Ooh, I love it. We're feeling this vacation. We are ready to go. Fucking do some witchcraft, say... Fuck you to some fools. Like, oh, I'm here and, and it's my birthday. Soak in the sun. We would like to thank Marcel Perez, our producer, Mallory Porter, our creative director, and Kevin McLeod for the music in the intro and outro each week. I really like to thank the people that left reviews last week after we did bully you. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to do that again. No. So don't make me do it again, baby witches. Please leave us a review on iTunes, wherever you can leave reviews. We really appreciate it. We decided as a collective not to bug you about it. This is what you get. We appreciate you. We love you. If you want to find me on Instagram, I'm Alicia period herder. If you want to find me, I'm Tara. You can find me on Instagram at her lovely face. That's my art Instagram. Or you can go to underscore little moss. And that is like my private Instagram. I basically just check to see if you're following Alicia. And if you are, then you get to come hang out with me and look at pictures of me, mostly, lately. Excellent. Love that shit. We're on Instagram, the podcast, at which, yes, share an episode in your stories, tag us, and we'll feature you on our stories, baby. If you don't like Instagram, we have Facebook, which, yes, the Facebook coven, and we have an email if you want to send us your thoughts, grievances, whatever, which, yes, podcast at gmail.com. Please don't grievances. I am very sensitive to criticism. Bring it, baby. <laughs> Alicia. Bring it. Alicia will, Alicia will read them. We also have a really wonderful Discord. It's yes. like really charming, like so lovely. Everyone in there is positive vibes and like wants to celebrate you, wants to be celebrated. They're also hilarious. They're very funny. They are very funny. If you liked this episode, this episode was another episode that was very much powered by our Patreon witches. $5 and above Patreon witches are getting two extra episodes a month, which makes this a weekly podcast. Whoop, whoop. $10 and above get access to our close friends, show notes, you know, sometimes full moon tarot readings, and we really bounce ideas off of them about stuff that we want to do. Also, if you guys don't already know, Patreon, they are privy to the next episode that comes up. Basically, what happens on Wednesday when we drop an episode, we tell them what the next one is, and we say, please tell us what to do. <laughs> we have, what do you want to know? We will find your answers or die trying. And we've died a few times. This is, I'm I'm the fifth Tara. Oh my gosh. That reincarnation process so fast these days. I have many chakras. All aligned. <laughs> fully aligned. And they're, they're big and they're loud. <laughs> They've got things to say. And this has been Witch, Witch Yes. Bye. See ya. Bye.